Right now, we're on week three of a series that we've been talking about called Bad Relationships of a Biblical Proportion. And I was so excited that we got to do this together and that the Lord put that on our hearts, your heart. Yes. We were, I love having you up here with me. It's fun. Yes. It's so good. We're having a moment right now. Never mind yeah, that. Yeah, see y'all. Okay. <laughs> but it's good. And, you know, we've been walking through, if you've been here, we've been walking through couples in the Bible who were experiencing some really dark things. And... You must understand, before we talk about these couples and our couple for today, we must all understand in this room that you and I, if you have a pulse, we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem, and that sin problem separates us from our good God, and it also destroys and hurts things that we love dearly in this life. So as we look at these real people, last, the first week we looked at a, at a couple named Abigail and Nabal. And this couple had such a struggle. They were in a very hard marriage. As we look at their life, as we look at last week's couple, where we had Jezebel and Ahab, this couple was unified. They were together, but they were unified in their rebellion against God. We look at their lives. Today, we're gonna talk about Samson and Delilah. Anyone, if you've heard Samson and Delilah, there's a lot more to their story that we're gonna unpack today. Next week, I have the privilege of talking about a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, another couple in the Bible that is a tragic marriage situation. And then we'll wrap up this incredible series with Hosea and Gomer, perhaps one of the most beautiful, although tragic, beautiful love stories in the scriptures. And it's a picture of God's love story with you and with me. But as we look at these real people, they were real. They lived real lives. It may have been thousands of years ago. Their circumstances may have looked different than ours do today, but they dealt with the same desires, the same heart's longings, so many similar situations that if you'll look close enough, you just might see yourself, and we can learn from them, and God wants us to learn from them. So our character for today really kicks off with Samson. We're in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Now, we're not going to read every single verse in that, in that section, but we're gonna hit some highlights and I believe really do honor to the story and why God wants it to be preached and God wants it to be read and God wants it to be told. Judges chapter 13, starting in verse two. So I'd love for you to start taking notes, get out a pen, get out your phone. I'm not offended if you're doing this as long as you're taking notes, okay? Um, Judges 13, verse two. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And boy, what a cool, we were working on this. And Susan, you made a comment to me. Yeah. Well, it struck me how many people in scripture where they were dealing with a barren situation, Abraham and Sarai, Hannah and her story, so many stories. And wherever you are in your life, there may be a barren place, but with God, he brings beauty and he brings miracles from our barrenness. Mm. And it's just incredible. Yet again, Such a God is doing this miracle. Verse four, you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And this is very interesting. The Nazarite vow was not a prescription for everybody. I wanna say that right now. Uh, Jesus himself did not practice the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was something where they would say, I will not cut my hair, I will eat no fruit from the vine, so no wine, 
no grapes, and I will touch no dead living organism, no, one dead body that was once a living organism. So that is the Nazarite vow. And the thing I wanna just quickly just point to that is just wonderful footnotes here is that that instruction was given to her from the womb. Like God said, little Samson is not a collection of cells, impersonal, without dignity. That we're starting the Nazarite vow in the womb. And I just find that to be such a powerful, intimate, delicate reminder of the sanctity of his life and that even while he's in the womb, we're gonna treat his vow as if it was already occurring. Wow. Verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson and the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And he, these words make me think of Jesus later in the future when Jesus came and the Bible says and he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here you see Samson is growing. Samson is uh, full of favor. And, and as I read this at the end of chapter 13, this is our very last judge in the book of Judges. Don't have time to get into, that doesn't mean that he, he was in a court of law. A judge was a leader, and we can talk about that more later, but he was the last judge in this season of Israel. They were about to have an era where they would have kings. And Samson was the last judge. And as you read chapter 13, here he is. This is a hero. I mean, this guy is like epic. I mean, can you smell what the rock is cooking? It's coming. Samson, this is, this is somebody, he's a Nazarite vows. He's got the long, you know, cool flowing hair and, and he's got, you know, this dude is growing and it's just the hero and it's Herculean almost and, and you're reading this and you're like, I cannot wait. I literally cannot wait from chapter 13 to turn the page. Okay, what's gonna happen in 14? What's he gonna do, Susan? I love the way you read the Bible. Okay. I really do. It's true, though. But, it's okay, true. we're filled with anticipation. <laughs> yes. He's about to conquer something. He's about to do something for great for God. He's going to divide the waters. What's he going to do? All the hope in the world. And we see Samson grown up. He's now a young man in Judges 14. Okay, I'm ready. Let's we go. pick it up. Verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Uh-oh. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. That is not good. That is not good, Susan. <laughs> but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're trying to help him. They're trying to lead their young adult son. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson is taking the first steps to his demise. Now, what is so interesting to us about this passage is that last week we looked at a couple who was in blatant rebellion. Remember, they were unified in their refusal of who God is and what God was about. But here we have a guy, Samson, raised in a family of faith. This is a family who knows God. This is a family who has relationship with Creator God to the point where a miracle happens in their home and Samson is conceived. 
And it already tells us that Samson begins to have experiences with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what we're seeing in Samson is not this blatant rebellion like we saw in this other couple. What we're seeing in Samson is the slow drift of a divided heart. It's a slow drift inside his heart as his heart becomes divided. And I believe often this can be so true in our lives. Christ followers, if you've received Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, we may love him. And we may say, I love you, God. I believe you, God. But I love you, God. But I'm going to make my decisions my way. I love you, God, but I'm going to date this person even though I know they don't really love or know you. I'm going to love you, God. I love you. I believe you, God, but I'm going to do sex and sexuality my way with what I feel. I love you, God, but I just want to have fun. I love you, God, but I just get drunk with my friends. It's no big deal. We're not hurting anyone. I love you, God, but I'm rude to my family. I love you, God, but I'm unethical in my career. I love you, God, but... And we find ourselves in this slow drift with a divided heart. And that's where Samson was finding himself. So the title of today's message is this, as you want to write this down. Samson and the women. Not just Delilah. So you you thought it was going to be Samson and Delilah. No, it's Samson and all these women, including but not limited to Delilah. Okay. Now, that's the deal. It's always Samson and Delilah. She gets such a bad rap if you just look at the story. Oh, it's all Delilah. Yeah, it's almost like Delilah is this temptress, you know, and she's like, come, Samson, come, Samson. But Samson... He's been there for a while. Yeah, he, he didn't need to be drawn anywhere. I mean, this guy, he's a, he's a disaster. Samson and the women included, but not limited to Delilah. I want to make a note. We're not at Delilah yet. Uh, The first woman that he's wanting to marry, that's not Delilah. This is another woman, and she's a Philistine. And the parents were having a real problem with this. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But this is is a, a hard moment. Now, I want to focus on the very next verse, verse 4 because it's kind of the theme of the whole story. It's kind of the thesis of the whole story. Verse four, his father and mother did not know that if it was from the Lord, for he did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. There's a lot there to unpack. So he's wanting to marry outside of his faith, and that was their problem. The uncircumcised people that he was marrying into That was the problem. It wasn't racial. It wasn't ethnic. It wasn't that they were in the wrong part of the neighborhood. It wasn't financial. It was purely, these people are outside of a covenant with God, and we are not to marry outside of people that are outside. We're not to marry people outside of the covenant of God. And so they're confused, but God's basically saying here, I'm doing something. Not that he's sanctioning this sin, but he is working his purpose despite Samson right now. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but I want to focus in on those last words. The Philistines ruled over Israel. The woman from Timnah, the bride from Timnah. Timnah is in Israel. Tribe of Judah 
It's in Israel. And the town of Timnah was not supposed to be ruled by Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of the people of Israel. The Philistines, fast forward later, the Philistines, Goliath was a Philistine. David is the one who took out Goliath, the Philistines. The Philistines are at war with Israel, but not here. They're walking around Timnah, they're ordering their pizza, they're hanging out, going to the dry cleaners over here at Timnah. They're, they're hanging. Not only are they in Timnah, but they are ruling Timnah. And there's a weird comfort. This is bizarre. Like if you're reading the Bible right now and you understood the history and what's going on, this is bizarre. Why are we acting like our, it'd be, it'd be weird. It'd be like if, 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 if Germany had won World War II and we're all speaking German. What? This is strange. And yet they seem to be at peace with the Philistines. And I'm going to fast forward. We're going to come back to the story right at the bride at Timnah, but I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to give away a little bit of the story. Um, basically, the father of the bride of Timnah, Samson goes off and does something. The father says, I guess he doesn't want her. And so he marries off the bride to the best man at the wedding. It's so jacked up. And Samson gets mad, and Samson goes and kills a bunch of Philistines. Then the Philistines get mad, and they torture and kill the bride of Timnah and her father. And then Samson gets mad, and he collects all these foxes and ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and sends them into the crops and burns all their crops Anger down. Anger issues with our Samson. This is a bad relationship of biblical proportions, okay? So there's a lot going on. So Samson is like killing and destroying, and he is fighting the Philistines. And then I wanna take you to a scene. So I fast forwarded past the bride, and I've seen all this destruction. Verse 11, chapter 15. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What it then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, this is Samson, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Adrian. Okay, I'm not gonna do that voice the whole time. So, so they're basically advocating for the Philistines. These are the leaders of Israel. They're, Samson is killing the enemies. He is going to war, never mind the wrong reasons, but he's going to war against the enemies of Israel. And the leaders of Israel are coming and trying to talk him out of fighting their enemies. This is messed up. And they said to him, we've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And so when they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that were caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and he put out his hand and took it and with it he struck down a thousand men. So this is, this is a powerful moment. You have to understand in the story of Samson that the people of Israel 
are so comfortable being ruled by the Philistines. The people of Israel have totally assimilated into this godless culture, this godless, anti-God culture. They're comfortable, and they're, they're chilling out, and they're relaxed that the minute that somebody begins to do what God said that, he should, that we all should be doing, even if it's for the wrong motives, the minute the enemies are fought as they should have been fought, they go to try to preserve the peace. Too much stirred up. And for us, I just wanna ask the question. You know, I, I love peace and peace is important. And getting along and we talk about in our politics, man, if we could just all get along. And we talk about uh, among friendship groups, hey, if we could just all just get along. And, and we talk about getting along, but I just have to ask the question, what if you're getting along at the expense of the truth of God? Is there a point where maybe we're not supposed to just be okay with some things? Is there a moment where we say lovingly, not angry, not with a snarl on our face, but with grace and truth, that we come and we say, you know what, I gotta raise my hand right now. And I may be the only one in the room that's raising my hand right now, but I have to raise my hand right now because this is wrong. This is not right. This is not true. And there has to come a point where we find our voice, church. And it may mean that we don't just get along to get along and all of a sudden we are bland, we are tasteless, we have no voice. And when a prophet comes in the room and they begin to preach the clear word of God, we go, whoa, 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 easy, easy, homeboy. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a stern caution that we are not built on the whims of the culture We are built, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Shake up the ground of all that tradition. Shake it up. Break down the bonds of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. But the people of Israel in this moment were so assimilated. And listen to me. Beware the comfort of conformity. It may cost you, can I just lay it out? To follow Jesus, it may cost you. Beware the comfort found in conformity. And it's so troubling. As you imagine those leaders, God's people, God's leaders, handing over this man anointed by God to lead them to freedom from their enemy. And as I read those words, I just can't help but wonder how many of us are handing our families over to an enemy in our culture? How many of us in our lives are handing over our marriages, handing over our futures into the hands of a culture that does not believe God and we conform to the pop culture around us? We conform to the voices that are so loud in our day and in our world. And God says, Romans 12, verse two, he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. The question that we would have for us today is am I conforming my life to the popular opinion and the truth of the day and her truth and their truth and your truth? Or am I conforming my life to God and saying, God, transform me 
Transform me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Transform me by renewing my mind, as you just said, with the Word of God, and ultimately taking that first step. Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Have I accepted Jesus as my Lord, my Savior? Have I received the gift of salvation that comes from Him on the cross, His blood covering my sin? Have I accepted that? And if my answer is yes, am I remaining close to Him? Am I staying close to Him every single day? Or am I just floating down the lazy river of culture and conformity and my life is headed towards a place of great pain? God, help us to be transformed, not conformed. You know, when you look at this story, back to that verse four in chapter 14, um, it's interesting because it says that God was working. And the parents couldn't understand this, but God was actually there. And you're saying, but how could God be there whenever he's choosing a wife that was not God's design? You know, how, how, could, how could that happen? I mean, how, do, how does he do that? And what, what we begin to see there is that there was kind of a plan A, and plan A for us would be that we would follow God. Plan A for Samson was that you are who you were supposed to be when we left off in chapter 13. Plan A is, God, I give myself to you, I'm gonna follow you, and our whole culture is just assimilating and conforming. That's the plan A, and I, Samson, you're doing something in my life, you've given me some strength, you've given me a sense of conviction, and God, I'm going to chase the Philistines out of Timnah. God, I'm going to preserve your land. We're gonna tear down the idols, and we're gonna serve you, and we're gonna, we're gonna show the world your love, and we're gonna create a place that, that, that looks the way that you would want it to look, and God, I'm your judge, I'm gonna be your God. But plan A was not available (laughs) because of his divided heart. So God went to plan B. God will use what he has to work with. And God used an unwilling and an unwitting Samson to get his stuff done. Can I just say this? God has a plan beyond your life, and he would love for you to be a part of it. God would love for you to be, God would love for your gifts to shine, that he planted things in you, he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And there's things he wants to see come out of you that would blow your mind. And he would love for you to be a willing participant. But to get God's will done, he he may have to do it despite you, not with you. And here we see him using Samson to break and divide and pry apart the Israelites from the Philistines. And what he has to work with is the weakness of Samson. What he has to work with is the impulsivity of Samson. But he'll use it, he'll use it. I'd much rather God use my strengths than my weaknesses. Absolutely, I mean, I don't know about you, but at the base level, I don't wanna experience unnecessary pain in my life. Following God leads to a rich and abundant life. Jesus promises that. And so we see Samson's life where he could have been experiencing the richness of being used by God, and yet God still uses him, but there's so much pain attached to his story. And so as we continue, we start to look at the specific women. So let's go back to our Timna bride. And as we look at Samson's life, understand, we're seeing us 
We all struggle with different flavors of brokenness. We all are gravitate toward different types of sin. And his struggle was women, his struggle was sex, his struggle was going outside of God's design in that area. But as we see his struggle, it can encourage us, it can help us in our own choices, our own direction. So Samson and Timna the bride, we already heard about her. We already know that it ended up in a terrible demise. But what we learn from this, if we back up to Samson's words himself, when he went to his parents and said, I want her. And they're like, Samson, that's not the girl for you. That's not God's best. That's not his plan for your life. He said, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. All throughout the Old Testament, you will see moments where God's people, the Bible says, did what was right in their own eyes. That's not really a phrase that we say a lot in our culture, but what we do say is, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Maybe you have the t-shirt, maybe you have the journal, maybe you have a, a picture that you put on our wall because it sounds so good. The only problem is that God says in Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So if I have a sick heart, if I have a deceitful heart, and the Bible says above all things, if I am following my heart, I am following a path of destruction. God says to us with all the love in his heart for you and me, he says, don't follow your heart, follow me. Don't follow your heart, follow God. And the reality for Samson is that rather than do what was right in his own eyes, fidelity to God meant, God, I wanna do what's right in your eyes. Will you show me? And so in this example, whether you are dating today or maybe you're dreaming of a future spouse, could we learn from, from the word of God because God has a design and his design is so good. His design when it's dating and for the Christ follower, he says this in Deuteronomy 7. You shall not intermarry with them, who's them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. This has been a long-standing reality in the history of humanity. 2 Corinthians 6 in the New Testament, God gives us this word and it is directly for our dating. It applies to lots of relationships, but nowhere more vital than dating. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now you may read those words and I wanna help us. You may read those words, righteousness, lawlessness, and sometimes we're tempted to say, oh man, she's really dating a bad guy. Oh hey, that girl, she's no good. You don't wanna be dating her. And I wanna help us all today. We're all bad. You're bad. I'm bad. Apart from Jesus, that's our default. Anything good in my life is the Holy Spirit of God at work inside of me. And that is true for you. Jesus makes us righteous. The reason that there is righteousness is because his blood covers our sin and God says, I'm gonna give you my righteousness. And so as people who've been redeemed by God, we're nothing, we understand anything good in me is from Christ and Christ alone. God, I wanna partner my life with a person who loves you too. I wanna partner my life with a person, not a perfect person, but a person pointed and chasing after you. God says this is important. It's part of his design for us. But Samson, he followed his heart. He followed his heart, he did what was right in his own eyes. And when that relationship blew up, 
His eyes continued to wander and his desires continued to grab and to grasp. And we pick it up in Judges 16. Verse one, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. Why are you in Gaza? Why are you in places where you see a prostitute? Do we place ourselves in vulnerable positions that will tempt us to a place that's At the club at 2 a.m. I'm just saying. Careful, careful. Verse two, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. So the enemies are alerted. Samson's here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. So Samson's trapped, trapped behind the gates. But Samson lay till midnight, check this out. And at midnight, he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So he didn't just go to the gate and try to open the gate. No, Samson, full of God's spirit on his life and the power that came with it, picks the entire gate up, posts and all, and carries it on his back and walks out of the city. Even in his place of rebellion, God was patient with him. God was being patient and he was continuing to allow the Holy Spirit to be alive in the purpose that, was, that God had for his life. But he kept walking down that road. Samson had found himself in a sexually charged place. And I believe that you and I, we live in a sexually charged culture. And the trap that Samson found himself falling into, so many of us in our culture, so many of us have been there, we've got the t-shirts, or we're struggling with it now. And we need to know something. A big headline is that God has a design, and it is good. He has plans for your life to prosper you, not to harm you, not to keep you from good things, but to give you hope and future. And so as a believer in Jesus, our desire is to say, okay, God, tell me your plan. So let's talk about his plan for a moment of sexuality because Samson was struggling. And the Bible is clear that God has created sex. Sometimes we don't wanna say that word. Oh, we shouldn't talk about it in church. We think God and sex are on opposite pages when God authored sex. He's the creator who made us and created us for pleasure and for connection. God created sex, the Bible tells us, between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. That's Genesis chapter one. That's Romans chapter one. Go, read it. The Bible tells us it's even down to our gender. He created us, male and female. God created them, the Bible says. He has a plan. Our choice is to embrace it or to do what's right in our own eyes. And when it comes to God's plan and design, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, am I gonna follow you or am I going to follow your, my heart? And it's not just outside of marriage. We may say, oh, I'm gonna do sex my way. I'm gonna have sex outside of marriage. I'm gonna have sex any way I want to. But the reality is it can also occur inside of marriage. Right, and just because you get married doesn't mean, okay, I'm good. I have no more temptation. I have no more struggles. I'm married, I'm good. No, actually, you need to tend the garden of the gift of intimacy that God has given you and your spouse God's way. And that means that sometimes we can bring things into the marriage that are not blessed by God. Um, if you are at a place where you're trying to increase your intimacy by introducing pornography into your marriage, for example, that would be taking a God-forbidden thing into a God-ordained marriage. 
um, that would be not tending the garden because you are fueling fantasy. You are committing visual adultery. The Bible says when I've lust with someone, if, even with the, when I look upon someone with lust, I've committed uh, adultery in my heart. So you're literally committing spiritual adultery in the sacred bedroom of, of that sacred place. So that's just one example of a way that we would do that. There's some other ways that we need to really work yeah. to make sure that our intimacy is tended. Yeah, because God, Because it's again, God's gifts to yes, give. It's right? his gift to give, not ours to grab. And so in the context of marriage, God is so clear that you're not to withhold from one another, that your body is not just your body any longer. You are connected with your spouse. That's God's plan, his words. And so that, what does that mean? That means that in both partnership, you're talking with one another. You may be coming from two different angles, but you're saying, okay, God, what's your plan? It's not to withhold from my spouse, and it's also not to objectify my your my spouse. Because the reality is inside or outside of marriage, when sex is not done God's way, it's selfish driven. It's what can I get out of this situation? It's what I want in this relationship. And we've even had in our marriage, I mean, just a few weeks ago, right? We had a moment where we had a conversation. Of you have a to have these relational yes, tune-ups you where you're like, okay, so how are we doing? Yes. You know, uh, maybe I'm feeling, maybe one of us is feeling uh, you know, we're feeling a little bit, you know, not as close as we need to feel, yeah. right? Yeah. Are y'all okay right now? And you have these conversations, and uh, don't worry, we're keeping it PG, kids, all right? Um, Doing our we'll best. warn you, Doing our we'll best. warn you, all right? We're trying. But, uh, but, but you know, you, you have these conversations, and it's amazing how, what we have found, yeah. when you begin to speak things, how their chains kind of break even when you begin to open the conversation. Now, now yes. sometimes in marriage, there's some really hard places right. that you need to navigate through. There's some hurt yeah. that you've got to deal with. Yeah. But in our situation, it was one, I mean, we have been married almost 25 years and God has blessed our relationship. And the reality before, actually before I share with you kind of a little more of our conversation, here's one of the dangers of our culture. We live in a fast food culture and we want our food fast, our coffee fast, but I believe we have a fast food mentality when it comes to sex. Mm. And that's where we find Samson. He's like, I want what I want, and I wanna get it quick, I wanna get it my way. When the reality is, when we enter into God's design on this broken, broken earth because of sin, we enter into God's design. Marriage requires work, but the work is worth it. And it leads to something that is real and that is rewarding. And so back to our conversation, we talked about, okay, we're in a space, we've been married 25 years, there's moments that we'll hit up and we'll be like, okay, we gotta remember, we're different people. Yes. We function differently, yes. we've gotta be reminded, That's we right. love and adore each other. We do. And maybe you've heard this phrase, maybe you never have, maybe it doesn't relate to you. But sometimes it can be true that men are a microwave and women are a crock pot. We had clapping. We had clapping. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes this is the case, and the crock pot may be more affected than the microwave, and we just take a little bit of time. Pick up on the word affected. Affected. Okay, affected. <laughs> Tell them the illustration about the candle. Okay, this is not a perfect illustration, but also sometimes I think guys can be like a gas log fireplace, like just push the button, we're here, we're good, we're consistent. <laughs> We're ready. You could have just had a fight. Um, Doesn't matter. You could have kids 
yelling in the uh, opposite matter. side of the house. No big deal. I mean, things breaking in the house. Things breaking. Extreme pressure. Smell of fire. It's all good. Back pain. Nothing matters. Yeah, no problem. But sometimes a woman can be like a candle, still burn bright, but certain things will blow it out. Yeah, it's like. <clears throat> it's like what? You know, what did like, you just uh, say? It's like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> did I hear a kid out in the hallway? <laughs> Mommy at the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, We're affected. These are not perfect illustrations. They are but, not, but we just, the, our whole point in sharing is that it's worth the work. Yeah, you got to work. It's worth it. You talk together, you communicate, and you have the hard moments. Sometimes it hurts. And selfless work. Yes. So, so that would mean that the, the Bible says that the man is to live in an understanding way. And that means patience. And that means when we understand that things affect you, that we want to try to create an environment where you won't be as affected. We want to try to help that. And we want to be mindful. And uh, I would just say, as a man um, who is wearing a black shirt on a stage, but as a man, <clears throat> okay, nobody got, got that. But anyway. I got that. But, uh, but as a man, um, you know, I want to be live in a loving way, in an understanding way. I don't know why I did that. But... Uh, and that means that I want to be uh, patient yeah. and I want to be sacrificial. I don't want to be a taker. Yeah. It's not just about me, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and as a woman, I don't want to be driven by just what I feel. I want to be driven by faith. I want to be driven by God. This is your plan and you have a great plan and you can overcome those moments when the candle got blown out. Just help us together to be one. And so we say all that because God has a design and it's worth it. It's worth it because you might be in a hard moment Maybe it's just a hard conversation like what we hit on, but maybe it's a hard season in your marriage. But when you commit to work God's way, you'll look back one day over the landscape and you'll see the richness. You'll see the reward of a marriage that God builds mm. and a connection that God creates. And that is authentic and that is worth mm -hmm. it. So we talked about Samson and the Timna bride. We've talked about Samson and the prostitute. Now in verse four of chapter 16, after this, after the prostitute, after all that happened, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. So we're only now getting to Delilah. Samson and the women, including but not limited to Delilah, okay? <laughs> whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, hey, seduce him, see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, that one could subdue you. So here we're at Samson and Delilah. And we see that Samson, we've already documented, he's got a sex problem. Samson has a authority problem. Samson has a God problem. He has a worship problem. He has a purpose problem. But underneath it all, Samson has a problem with desire. And underneath whatever sin struggle you may have, there is desire under that sin struggle. Um, the Bible teaches us that the heart, as we just mentioned, is, is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? The heart is active. This, this is a life-changing truth that, that I began to understand. When I understand that my desire factory, which is the heart, when my, my desire factory, my heart is on, 
and it wants to eat. It wants to desire. It wants to consume. And then when I understood, God made you that way. God made your desire factory to be always on. Originally, it was, the, here's the way we were supposed to work, that your heart, your desire, would be for him alone, first and foremost. And so you would be in a perpetual state of wanting and loving God, wanting and loving God, wanting and loving God, and then all these other things would be added to the person. The relationships would be added, the purpose would be added, work would be added, but my heart is still on the creator, on the creator. Well, when sin entered humanity, that, that attachment got severed, but our hearts are still on. Are you with me? And so we go and we attach to all kinds of things, like chips in the pantry at 12 o'clock at night. I should not be doing this. That's your heart, that's your desire factory. It is on, baby. It is on. There's all kinds of ways that we feel that desire. Your heart is actively seeking to fulfill all desires. Yeah, James Floor gives us another window. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And again, hear us. We preach this regularly here at Keystone Church. We believe so many, if not most, of our desires are God-given. So many of our desires are actually ways that God has wired us. But desires become evil when we're willing to break God's design to get it. When we disregard the giver of the gift and we chase the gift alone. That is a place where our desires grow, grow wrong and they begin to cause great pain in our lives. And God says, I have better for you than that. So as we wrap up this message on Samson and Delilah, let me just kind of, Samson, no, Samson and the women, including but not excluded to Delilah, um, I, wanna, I wanna leave you with two things. We wanna leave you with two things. Hope and a warning. Hope and a warning. So what happened with Delilah? Delilah, she tricked him. He, he, she betrayed him, but he wasn't telling her the truth, so he would always get out of the bonds until finally he gave in, and he said, if you'll cut my hair, I'll lose all my power, and that's exactly what happened. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, I wanna give you some hope from the story, because it's kind of a sad story. Yeah, I used to God. think the Samson story was like this hero, great, man, man I wanna be Samson. No, you do not want to be Samson, okay? But I do wanna encourage you, and to do it, you go back to the main scripture there in verse four. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And, and remember, God was looking for a way to, to break Israel from their comfort conformity and their assimilation into Philistine culture. And he would have used Samson's willing partnership, but if that's not there, God then says, okay, well, I'll use all your mess, I'll use your impulsivity, and I'll get you fighting the Philistines, even though you are, you're not fighting them really for me, you're fighting them, but I, I want the Philistines out of here. So I'm gonna use your weaknesses. And, and I mentioned this, but I, I wanna give you hope that you don't have to be Samson today. Like, like you, you're here, you're listening, you're online right now, you're in the room right now. And God, you may look at your life, you say, I have been Samson. Well, good, you are listening right now. And you are making a space for God to speak to you 
through his word. And you have an opportunity to get off the Samson train. Bye-bye. I'm off. I'm done. And God, I'm ready to be your hero. I'm ready for you to use my gifts. I'm ready for you to give me gifts. I'm ready for you to bring a relationship that would honor you. I'm ready, I'm ready to wait for that. I'm, I'm ready. You can get off the Samson train today. Because I know this. If God can use his weaknesses to accomplish his purpose, he will and is ready and available to use you. And he will. If you're not going to play along, he will override and use whatever he's got to do it. But the question is, will you be a part of it? Samson wasn't a part of it. He didn't get the benefit of it. He didn't get the giftedness of it. Will you receive that? And, and here's the warning. The warning is in Judges chapter 16, verse 21. And the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Their God. How he reads the Bible, I promise. Like, well yes. documented. <laughs> to their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. So he's now a clown. The hero is a clown. That's what sin does to you, folks. You become a diminished version of who you were supposed to be. The longer you bind yourself to that sin, you become bound to the nature of that sin. You become less than who you are. Your gifts begin to fade. And it's sad. You get hard. He's a clown. He's a fool. Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there and the, on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And I believe that there's something powerful about this as I was reading. Samson's mentioned again in the book of Hebrews. And even if it's just with this one prayer at the end of his life, it was an act of faith, and he's counted among the faithful. So the dead, so he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his whole life. And, and here's, the, here's the warning. So we have hope, God can do it. Here's the warning. Here's the warning. You don't wanna be Samson. 
Maybe your eyes have already been taken and you just can't see. Maybe your hair has already been cut. And you have no power. And maybe you're starting to feel the effects of a life giving into that particular sin and your purpose is no longer rescuing the people of Israel. You're grinding the grain. And the warning for us all is, don't mess with sin. And you know what sin is? You not doing your purpose. That's sin, you're missing the mark. Samson's great flaw was he had one bad relationship. You say, yeah, Timna, that's where it all starts. No, he had one bad relationship. And it's the first relationship. Had he gotten that one right, he would have known, no, 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 I'm not gonna disobey my God from Deuteronomy chapter seven. I'm not gonna go to, the, to there, I'm not gonna go there. And, and he would have said, instead of a heart of lust toward a prostitute, maybe he would have had the heart of Jesus toward that, to the, what the Bible called the harlot. And he said, go and sin no more. I wanna rescue you, now go sin no more. He would have seen human trafficking, not an object of his pleasure. And, and maybe our hearts could change today, but please be warned. Maybe today's the day you cross the line of faith. You say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to experience his purpose for the very first time. Or maybe you're a Christ follower. And today you just need to realign and find that joy. Can we pray together? Here we are, God, in your presence, ready for your power, ready for your presence, ready for your purpose. God, may nothing, may nothing keep us from you. I pray, God, right now that we would even now be confessing sin to you, not because well, that's just the wrong thing to know. I'm breaking your heart, God. I'm breaking your heart. And against you, you have I sinned. Maybe you're giving your heart. God, I, I trust you for the very first time. I'm yours. Would you adopt me today? I want to be your champion. Have your way, God. In this house, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.